It is that time again here at six minutes after four o'clock. Thank you so much for joining us. If you're just tuning in, the Employment Hour, we talk about employment rights, whether it's for uh, yourself, maybe you're an employer or an employee, and possibly you've been handed a a severance notification or a friend or family member has uh, recently. They haven't signed anything, or maybe it's been a little while and you were wondering, I wonder if I've got everything I should have. Well, chances are you don't, but a good way to find out, A, is listen to the uh, the hour of this show, and B, is to make the phone call and simply ask Lior, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on cell. You want to uh, send over an email, we'll endeavor to get a few of those on the air before we uh, we wrap it up a little later on before 5. Help at employmenthour.com. Couldn't be simpler. And I'll give you details how to contact Lior uh, when the show is not on the air and any other time, for that matter, to discuss. Your, uh, discuss your matters on a more personal basis. Having said that, brother, back for another Sunday. What is going on with the week that was? Hey, Sunday afternoon, and I'm uh, ready to go, ready to talk about employment law, employment rights, uh, workplace law, and to hopefully help answer as many questions as possible, solve as many problems as possible. So take advantage of the fact that, that we're here right now to, to answer those questions till 5 o'clock so that uh, if you're experiencing an uncomfortable workplace situation or you have a question about something that your boss did or said, do they have a right to do that? What are your rights? No need to wonder anymore. Call us right now on the show. I'll answer those questions. I'll tell you what to do. I'll hopefully make you feel better. And of course, as John said, remember, I'm, I'm here on the radio once a week. The rest of my time, I'm on, I'm, I'm at my office answering questions, dealing with real situations. So if you want to talk to me while I'm at the office at any time, call me, email me. We'll give you that information throughout the show. But take advantage of us right now being here. So uh, let's keep it interesting. And week there was a couple of situations that came across my desk very recently. Recently, uh, the first one involved a lady who I spoke with uh, beginning of the week, uh, and she had experienced some some uh, what she considered to be bullying and harassment in the workplace. Uh, her boss, she felt, was not treating her properly. Uh, she she felt that her boss was not talking to her properly and or professionally, and she did exactly the right thing. She went over. The, the the bosses said there was no HR, so she went to the general manager, right. and she told the general ma- manager what's happening. She told uh, the general manager that she hopes that he, uh, he can solve the problem. A uh, couple of days later, or a few days later, uh, the general manager contacts her and says to her, uh, I, I couldn't verify what you said. I couldn't establish this harassment. And by the way, John, I spoke to her after... I'm not surprised that that was the company's reaction. The type of situations that she was describing would would have been very difficult to prove. She didn't really have any any backup or any proof. So the the general manager could have said, sorry, we try to help you, but there's nothing we can do. Well, they went further than that. They said, well, we don't think you're a team player. You've been stirring the pot, so we're going to let you go. Uh, So by virtue Hmm. of the fact that she filed a harassment complaint with the general manager, she was let go from her job. She was extremely upset. In fact, she was devastated. And she called me at at the office and she wanted to know, Lior, what do I do? Well, here's the thing, John. Regardless of whether or not her harassment complaint can be verified, regardless of whether or not it's ultimately legitimate, she cannot be fired or punished in any way for asking the harassment to be dealt with, for filing a harassment complaint. The moment she, she asks 
to have her harassment issue dealt with, regardless of what happened. She cannot be punished. She has this dome of protection around her. Right. It's called a reprisal. It's illegal to punish someone because they filed a harassment complaint. Think about it. If people were worried about about filing harassment complaint, then no one would ever say anything about it. And yep. It would be a terrible situation, and that's just not the way it is. So the lesson here is very important. Okay, very, very important. If you have a workplace issue, it doesn't, by the way, have to do with harassment. Maybe it's an overtime issue. Maybe it's a vacation pay issue. You have a right to bring that issue up. And regardless of what the ultimate outcome is, you cannot be punished for bringing that issue up. So not only is this lady owed severance, of course she's owed severance. She's been there for seven years. She's going to be owed probably nine, ten months pay. She could now be owed additional damages by the fact or by virtue of the fact that the company mistreated her and let her go when she filed a harassment complaint. If you do have a harassment issue, it's a serious matter. You can bring it up to your employer. If they do anything to you, anything at all, you call me and I'll deal with it. It sounds terrible, but I'm sensing not that's not that an uncommon a scenario with what you do. I mean, an employer would, you know, you bring a harassment complaint, they'd get their, you know, knickers in a knot, and they, they, they'd fire you. I can see that happening quite a bit. Thank God they can have some, some recourse. I'm talking about the employee, right? Yeah, it is completely illegal to do that. And, no. you know, an employer has to investigate a harassment complaint. They have to legitimately investigate it. Sometimes that means bringing someone from the outside if it's a more complicated issue to investigate. And obviously, if the complaint could be verified, they have to take measures to fix the issue, to make the issue go away. When it comes to workplace harassment, no one should have to suffer. And certainly, you should always have the comfort and the confidence to know Mm -hmm. that if you're complaining about harassment, no one can punish you. It would be completely illegal. Again, phone calls and questions for this hour of the show, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Uh, what other matters you got going on, pal? Another matter I had that dealt with, and this is, by the way, a common matter. I, I, I can't imagine, I can't believe that how often I have to deal with this. Uh, trucker, okay? So oftentimes with truck drivers, I'm sure we're some, we have some drivers right now on the road listening. Oftentimes they're misclassified as independent contractors when they're really, in the eyes of the law, employees. Happens all the time. Well, in this particular situation, this person had been working with the same company for 15 years, quote-unquote independent contractor. Nonsense. Well, unfortunately, recently, he had to go off on a, on a disability leave. He couldn't work uh, for a while. He had some, uh, some serious health issues. And he went off, he took care of himself, he got treatment, and six months later, he was all better. And he contacted his employer and said, good news, I'm better, I'm ready to come back to work. Well, their reaction was very swift, and they said, well, what are you talking about? You haven't been here in six months, you're an independent contractor, so we don't have a job for you. Mm. Uh, And he called me very upset, and as he should be. So here's the thing, John. Because he was an employee, he remained an employee while he was off for the six months that he was off on a medical leave, which means now he has a right to be considered for his job. His employer has to make all efforts to take him back to work. And their refusal, number one, it's actually a termination. Now they would owe him severance after 15 years. He could be owed 18 months pay. But it's also a human rights issue. If they're not bringing him back because he took a medical leave, that's illegal. You cannot do that. So I wanted to bring this up here to remind those individuals. Number one, if you're on a medical leave, you have a right to to come back to your job. You continue being an employee. Your employer cannot let you go because you took a medical leave. But for those out there that are misclassified 
as independent contractors, when they're really employees, you have the same rights as an employee. If you have a regular job, if you've been doing it for a while, if you go to work and come home, you are an employee. It doesn't matter what you call yourself. And because of that, you have all the rights, including the rights under the Human Rights Code, including rights to get your full severance. If you're not sure about your rights, if you're not sure what you're owed, or if you're an employer, an independent contractor, call me, ask me the question. I'll be able to tell you exactly. Man, we could do three shows in a row every week on the independent contractor ins and outs, the nuances and the minutia of that particular thing, right? I mean, it, it pops up all the time with uh, certain fields, yeah, but people in general always. And like you said, they can go on for two decades thinking they're an independent contractor. They get let go. I use that in quotations. And all of a sudden, their employer is like, what? I got to pay 24 months? Is that pay? Yeah. What? What? Right. And, and and the thing is, individuals may not realize. They think, oh, I've been let go. I'm an independent contractor. I'm not owed anything. When they could be owed two years' pay, as you just said. Right. Don't let that happen to you. There, John, hmm. there's people listening to us right now, probably dozens of people listening to us right now, that are in exactly that situation. They're, quote, unquote, on paper, independent contractors, but in the eyes of the law, they're employees. Let's uh, take a moment to talk about the uh, severance pay calculator. I don't think we did last week. Uh, give me some details on it. Give everyone some details on it. SeverancePayCalculator.com, the first place you go to if you lost your job, whether you're uh, an employee, a real one, or a, a, a fake independent contractor, which means you're still an employee, if you lost your job to find out how much you're owed, and by the way, it's not a week per year of service. It's not two weeks per year of service for most people. It's a lot more than that. Well, you go to severancepaycalculator.com. It's free. It's easy to use. It's anonymous. It takes seconds. You answer about three questions, and then you are done. You don't have to put in your name or the company's name. It's for your information so that you know if you lost your job and they offered you six weeks pay, is that good? Is that bad? How much more are you owed? Same thing with your friends, your family. If they lost your job, first place they should go to tell them severancepaycalculator.com. It's a beauty. Well, I will take a short break there, get right back into this and get into our topic for the afternoon. That is accommodation based on family status. You're thinking, what does all that mean? We'll uh, dissect it and drill down on it for sure. In the meantime, your phone calls, uh, bring them on, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. You have any questions about your employment or severance or anything that we talk about here in the show, now is the time to call in. Lots more on the way. It's the Employment Hour on CKNW. It is 418 and uh, ready to go here. Phone calls. Yeah, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Just waiting for Wade to go green, and we'll uh, we'll be taking his call here in a moment. In the meantime, just to, just to get us set up, accommodation based on family status. It's a mouthful, brother, but what, is that, what does it all mean? <laughs> so let's start with the idea of a duty to accommodate. A duty to accommodate, yep. uh, certainly as it relates to employment law, has to do with an employer's obligation to help an employee that needs that help do their job. In some situations, in circumstances happen which require an employee to, to get some help from their employer to do their job. And, and the easiest example, the most common example, is when an employee has medical issues. And as a result of that, they need some accommodation, maybe modified duties, modified hours. Maybe they can't lift something that's too yeah. heavy or they need a job where they sit down instead of stand up. So the employer is under a strict duty in that situation to provide that accommodation, to allow the employee to do their job and to help them do their job when they need that help. Now, 
other than medical conditions, there's other issues or other circumstances where an employer has to accommodate. And one of them, which we'll talk about more on the show, is family status. What that refers to is situations where as a result of family relations and family obligations, an employee may need some flexibility, some changes from the employer to allow them to meet those family obligations. In those situations, an employer is still legally obligated to provide those accommodations, to provide that help so that the employee can both do their job and meet their family obligations. As I mentioned, we're going to drill down deeper on that one for the remainder of the show in between the phone calls, which always have priority, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. In that regard, we'll move over to uh, to Wade. Hey, Wade, thanks for uh, thanks for hanging on. How's your afternoon? Good. Very good. It's great. I'm good. up Go here ahead. on the island. It's raining and sunny and all at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> I hear you. Go mm-hmm. ahead, man. Well, my question was... Um, my son worked at, for a company in BC, and it, in, under our uh, legislation, I understand there's a certain amount of severance you get. But the company said, "Oh, but we're in a, we're an Alberta company, and we're not we're not obliged to pay you the same severance that you'd get if you if you're a BC company." Right. So wait, your, your uh, son works in BC, right? Yeah, he works in BC for a so, uh, company from Alberta. Right. So, so let me, let me say two things, actually. The first thing is that, you know, whatever the legislation here in BC is, which is the Employment Standards Act, is actually irrelevant. And, and what I mean by that is that that legislation outlines your, your son's minimum entitlements. His full entitlements are, are under what we call the common law, which is nothing to do with, with that legislation. Your son has the same entitlements whether he works for a company that's out of BC, out of Quebec, out of Ontario, out of the US. As long as he works in BC, as long as he works in this province, then he has the same termination entitlements as every other employee. So let me tell you what, what he'd be owed. How long has he worked for the company? Uh, three years. And uh, how old is your son, and what kind of a job does he do? Uh, he worked for an airport. Um, okay. A baggage handler type guy. Okay, uh, was he part was, of a uh, union? On fire suppression there. So he, was but he, part he was of only a union? making about eighteen dollars an hour, we'll say, um, because it's an Alberta company. They don't pay a lot of money. Wait, was he, was part, he part of, of a union? union? Wait. Oh no, non-union. Okay. okay, so your son would be owed about four months' pay. Wait, if if he loses his job or he ha- if he's lost his job, he'd be owed four months' pay. Doesn't matter if it's an Alberta company, a BC company, or a company from the U.S. Doesn't matter at all. As long as he works in BC, that's all that matters. And four months' pay. Did he actually lose his job? Uh, yeah, he had to quit because of medical reasons. Uh, he had a, a, a condition in his lungs. He had to he had to quit. So he. He um, he left to get an operation and whatnot, and then he decided not to come back because he uh, he didn't want to hurt his lungs again. Hmm. So, so the reality uh, he, so he is, Wade, said, no, he didn't go back. So in that situation, he would not be owed severance because ultimately he decided not to go back to work. And obviously, that's his right. Severance is paid when the company decides to terminate employment. So, so no, it doesn't seem like in this situation your son would be owed severance, but it's not because it's an Alberta company. It's not because of any of that. It's because of the fact that ultimately he chose to leave the workplace. 
so it's a very good question for, for everyone out there that may be working for a company that may not be a BC company. It may be a company where their head office is somewhere else. doesn't matter where it is. You name the country, you name the place, it doesn't matter. If you work in BC, physically in BC, the laws, everything we talked about today applies to you, and including and especially when it comes to severance, you get your full severance entitlements. I see. Okay. Well, I'll, I'll run that by uh, my son because I'm not sure if he was laid off, but I'll let him know that he would, if he was laid off, he would get the four months. You got it. Okay. Well, thanks a lot. Wade, appreciate the call. Thank you very much. And again, to follow through, uh, any more questions uh, while the show is not on, it is 604-283-3123. That's Lior's number, 604-283-3123, and it's help at employmenthour.com. But for the remainder of this hour, you know the number, 604-280-9898 or a star 9898 on your cell. Rod, you're, uh, you're next up, fella. How are you? Good, thank you. It seems, guys, that employers can uh, certainly be hurt by employees who want to take advantage of some of these rules. So can you speak to, say, the family obligation? And, and it seems to me that that's kind of a loose thing and how an employee could just indefinitely uh, take some advantage of this. I'm curious. Hmm. So uh, I see exactly what you're saying when, when it comes to family status. So l- let's kind of use a, a classic example and let's dissect that a bit. So a classic example when it comes to accommodation based on family status is with respect to child care obligations. So an employee may say, well, I need to be able to leave work early because I need to pick up my child at daycare. Uh, and so instead of working till 5, you need to let me go at 4, for example, just to use an example. Now, Here's the thing. It's not enough for the employee to just come in and say, hey, guess what, employer? I'm leaving at four because I got to pick up my kid. It, it, it doesn't, it's not that simple. An employer is allowed to have information such as, wait a second, is there someone else that can help you? What about your, your husband or your wife or, or your mother or your father? Number one, uh, what, is there another opportunity in terms of the daycare for them to stay later? What else could, could be done other than the employer accommodating. Essentially, when it comes to accommodation based on family status, that is the last resort. If the only way the employee can meet their family obligation, in this case, picking up their child, is by the employer accommodating them, then yes, the employer has to provide that accommodation. Now, in terms of this being forever, well, keep in mind, it's going to be difficult, I think, for an employee to show that, well, okay, now there's no one else that can help me, but that's going to be the case forever. There'll never be anyone to help me. There'll never be an opportunity for me to have my, my child in after-school program. You know what I mean? So it, it's probably not as easy for the employee to take advantage as, as you may think, but an employer does have a duty to accommodate if, in fact, that is what the employee needs ultimately in order to meet their family obligations. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. It seems to me that you could certainly take advantage of this, and I'm not exactly sure. I mean, I guess it could happen while somebody was employed, or they could happen. They could need that. They could have to have that situation prior to getting employment, go and get a job, and then say, "Hey, by the way, I'm going to make yep. my own hours now because this is what I need." So I don't understand why an, uh, an employer should be hurt if it is, in fact, a negative for them uh, in that situation. To me, it well, just doesn't seem fair to them either because they may actually have financial uh, issues if someone says, well, I'm going to have to now leave at 2 o'clock. And they say, well, we're actually open till 4, and you're the only one here. You know, yeah, or- and, and, and the duty to accommodate, Rod, has 
limits. So we call that uh, accommodation to the point of undue hardship. So if, if this right. person is your only employee at the store, let's just use that as an example, and the store is open till 5, and they want to leave it too. Well, if there's really no employee and there's no ability to accommodate, well, you can say, well, there's, there really isn't that ability. Now, for a small mom and pop shop, it's going to be much easier for them to say we can't accommodate than for a large company, let's say a bank. You know, a bank is going to have a very difficult time saying we can't accommodate because it has a lot of resources, has a lot of people. So it does depend on the situations, but if the company really can't accommodate and it's legitimate, then they don't have to. But in my experience, right, oftentimes employers say we can't accommodate before they actually reach that point where it's too hard for them to do it. Rod, good call. Appreciate that bringing up. I know a lot of people probably wanted the same thing from an employer's standpoint. We'll, uh, we'll take a short break and get back into our topic for the uh, for the afternoon. I want to remind you as well, you can still call in, still have plenty of time, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. And more about accommodation based on family status is on the way. It's the Employment Hour on CKNW. Yeah, just before uh, 5 o'clock, that's how much time you have. So make sure you uh, you call through and ask your questions. In addition to that number, there's star 98, 98 on your cell as well. In the meantime, talking about the accommodation based on family status, we covered exactly what it was. Uh, we, you just mentioned a couple times both uh, on the air about what accommodation really means. Um, just, to, just to go over one more time. So exactly accommodation, we know what it is. What is, what is it exactly based on family status? So the law recognizes uh, that a certain relations, a number of relationships require protection. So parent and child, for example, uh, being the main one of them, whether you're uh, the parent and have responsibility to a child, or you may be the child that have a responsibility for a parent. You know, a lot of us have older parents that may require some help. Well, those relationships, you, you cannot be punished in any way because you have those types of responsibilities in those relationships. And beyond that, an employer has to provide accommodation when it comes to meeting those responsibilities. So I gave the example before uh, about meeting child care obligations. Another right. example may be a situation with, again, older parents. Well, maybe you have a parent that needs a medical treatment or needs to go to regular medical appointments and you're their main care provider. Many of us are in that situation where the ma main care providers were our parents. Well, if I, if I have a parent that requires some specific treatment and I'm the only one that can provide that treatment or take her to the doctor to get that treatment, again, to the extent that the only way I can do that is at a certain time during work hours, well, the employer may have to and will have to accommodate me by allowing me to, to do that, uh, whether it's giving me flexibility in my hours, allowing me to start early, uh, to leave late, whatever it needs to, to, needs to do to make me able to both do my job and meet those family responsibilities. So we call that accommodation based on family status. So an employer cannot say, and this is the key here, John, an employer cannot say, well, no, no, that is your responsibility. That's not right. our problem. There have been many cases uh, where that's exactly what's happened, where the employer said, hey, yeah, you have a child, you have a parent, cool, that's great, but that's your problem, not mine. No, no, no. By law, that is the employer's problem. The employer does have an obligation to accommodate, and if they don't, that would be a violation of our human rights laws. Uh, the Human Rights Tribunal would, would not look favorably on that. So remember, both employees and employers, an employer has to accommodate based on family status. Again, your phone call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. 
So you mentioned the employer going, no, 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 you can take care of that yourself. Is there a certain amount of leeway? Uh, like, does an employee have an obligation to first try to figure things out on their own? Yeah, so as I was telling our previous caller, an, an employee first has to see if he or she can deal with the issue without accommodation right. from the employer. They're kind of the, of the first line. So in, in many situations, the employee can, you know, with some, some flexibility and creativity, meet those obligations and maybe get some help from, uh, from a family member, from a partner, uh, from the school or, you know, whoever it is, the doctor. And with that flexibility, they may not need that accommodation from the employer. Uh, they can't simply say, no, no, the, the easiest way is if you let me leave early. It's not a question of what's easiest. It's a question of what's necessary. So if what's necessary in order to meet those obligations is for you to be accommodated by the employer, then that's when the company has to accommodate. But it is quite appropriate and quite necessary for the employee first to try to resolve matters on their own if they can't. If the only way that they can meet their obligations is with accommodation from the employer, then it's absolutely appropriate to say to the employer, I need this accommodation, and at that point, the company has to accommodate. Okay, so the uh, the company's on board. They've started doing the the accommodation that's necessary for, uh, for the employee. Is there a time limit on that sucker? How long do they have to do it for? And, and there really isn't a an official time limit. You know, I was also right. telling the previous caller, it's not like, well, we've accommodated for a day, for a week, for a month. Now, it, it's really as long as the employee needs it. And again, needs it is the key because after a while, right. the employee may not need it. They may be able to make other arrangements. Usually, these types of accommodations are temporary because after a while, the employee may not need it. But as long as the employee legitimately needs it, there's no time limit there. As long as it's not... The accommodation is now what we call undue hardship. It's, as long as it's not so difficult, so so impossibly difficult for the company and expensive for the company, the company has to accommodate even if it's indefinite. What is the uh, what should an employee do if the employer decides to you know dig their heels and say no, I'm not doing it? You can ask as many times as you want; it ain't going to happen. Well, obviously, you, the first thing you want to do is to make sure that your employer understands why you need the accommodation and, and as well what you've done on your own to try to avoid having to ask for the accommodation. You would want to have a, something in writing. You remember my rule, if it's not in writing, it doesn't exist. So you want to have an email or uh, or something in writing where you tell employee, employee, here's why I need it, here's what I've tried to do, and here's why the only way I can meet these obligations is with this accommodation. And if the company still refuses, at that point, you call me. At that point, we have to consider the human rights uh, uh, complaint process. We, it may That failure to accommodate could also be uh, a constructive dismissal. We can actually ultimately force the company to provide that accommodation. So I always say try to resolve that with the company. If you cannot, if they won't accommodate, if they won't give you the flexibility that you need, call me and let me do what I do. I want to get into the discussion of recruiting employees from another job first. So, as always, the phone call is 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Get to uh, to Joe. Hey, Joe, good afternoon. How are you, pal? Good. How are you? Good, sir. What's uh, what's on your mind? Well, I, I have um, a friend at work who was in a situation very similar to the examples that you gave where okay. he found uh, that he was unable to get to work for his 7 a.m. shift because he couldn't get daycare for 6 a.m. in order to be able to make it to his work. Sure. And he, he asked the employer uh, for several different types of accommodation, uh, whether it be, you know, starting a little bit later, working a little bit later, uh, what have you. And he was denied every time. Now, just want to say this is a union environment with a municipal employer. And um, it just seems to me like 
if it's in the private sector law, then why wouldn't it also be the same within a union, especially a municipal union? It, it, it is absolutely the same, Joe. It, it is absolutely the so, same. The, the, the only difference is, and this is a big one, the only difference is that in the non-union environment, he can say, well, okay, employee, you're not going to help me? No problem. I'm going to call Lior and I'm going to file a human rights application if yes. I need to. No problem. The problem in the union environment is the only one that can do that for him is the union. And if the union doesn't want to because they say, well, we don't want to upset the employer because we want to deal with them on something else, then he doesn't have any options. So it's not the law that's different. The law is exactly the same, and the company's obligations are the same. It's his ability to pursue it that's different in the union because the only one that can take the ball and run with it, so to speak, is the union. And if they won't do it, he's kind of left holding the bag, you know? Yeah, I I do hear what you're saying, but... I guess what I'm what I'm trying to figure out is that they would have even uh, less hardship as a result of this duty to accommodate having so many employees. So they really have no ground to say no in the first place. This employee is it has been a little bit of a I guess you could say a going concern for the company. However, yes. he's also he he's been at one point in time the union president and had uh, a custody issue with his wife and had some. Uh, um, I guess anxiety and depression issues as a result of everything that's going on in his personal life and they still want to look at it and say yeah you know what there's something we can do to help you here and he did file a grievance and the grievance was not upheld um, and I, it's really confusing to me how this could actually happen well ultimately the Based law is exactly, is exactly the same because our human rights laws apply unionized, non-unionized, senior, junior what have you it's ultimately up to the union to pursue that, and if the union won't or won't do it well, then he, there's nothing else that he can do. And, and I hear you about the company. Oftentimes, a company may say, well, we have this obligation, but if we don't meet that obligation, we think we'll be able to get away with it, so let's just not do it. And, and it's, 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 it's terrible that that's the case, but I've seen it happen more times than I can count. And, and I think that's the position your, your friend is finding himself in. And if he wasn't unionized, we can help him easily. Because he's unionized, it's it's a very different situation. Joe, appreciate your call, and I understand the frustration. This is this is I mean, not only with this issue, this one we don't often get to talk about in a, in as far as unions are concerned, but it's more it's more along the lines of severance and everything we talk about. Sometimes, for all the benefits, it's just tough and it's frustrating for you on the legal side where you can't help these people because they're bound by the uh, the CBA, right? Yeah, and then you know this. You know, when I talk about unions, I'm not making political statements. I'm not no. you know, talking about whether I like unions or not. It's it's that's not the point. The point is there's great things about unions, but the 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 concern I always have is that when you have a problem, you're dependent on someone else doing something for you, and right. whereas you can't do it yourself. You can't say, okay, well, I have an issue. I'm going to do what I have to. To, to fight that issue, to resolve that issue, you're dependent on someone else to do it, and that person may not want to, may not know how, may not be good at it, and that's the concern. And I get calls all the time, you know this because we get it on the show, and I get calls like that in the office from people saying, I'm part of a union, I have this problem, and no one's doing anything about it, can you help yeah. me? I cannot, no one can other than the union. So, you know, there's good and there's bad, and there's bad, and that to me is the bad part of being part of the union. You cannot solve your problem. You cannot hire someone like myself to, to solve your problem. It has to be the union. We'll take a short break on that note and uh, more phone calls. Still got time? Yes, you do. 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell. Email address to get those in is help at employmenthour.com. Lots more on the way right back at it. Employment Hour on CKNW. 
Yeah, filling your Sunday afternoon full of knowledge on the employment side. Still got time to call in uh, 9898 on cell as well. If you prefer, it is help at employmenthour.com. Haven't covered this one in a while. I want to talk a little bit about it because we know what happens. Recruiting employees from another job. Do companies contact employees that already have a job to convince them to leave? Well, it happens all the time. Absolutely, it does. Uh, you know, I said that in, in half a situation where an employee leaves a company and joins another, it's because they were actually actively recruited, re- uh, recruited, not because the employee was out there himself or herself looking for a job. Employers could use things such as you know LinkedIn, for example, to look for people that think that has the experience and the qualifications that they look for, and they contact the people. They may use headhunters to go find people out there that that has the, that experience. So it happens all the time, and I, I know uh, many individuals that get calls from headhunters from other companies saying, "Hey, we have this position. Are you are you interested? Do you want to leave?" And you know. What we want to talk about, take a few minutes to talk about, is what happens in a situation where an employee leaves a company because they were recruited, joins another company, and things don't work out. Uh, that, that's kind of an interesting topic and a topic that can uh, can be very important to know about. That's exactly the first question. So an employee is, uh, as you call, induced the legal term to go to a new job. They go, oh, this is beautiful. Love it. Chair feels good. They're playing with a stapler for a couple of days, and all of a sudden they're let go. What happens to them? So when an employee is recruited away, so they're not looking to leave, they're not right. actively shopping their resume, they're not asking to be hired by another company. There, someone knocked on their door, uh, you know, made them a nice uh, presentation, gave them a nice presentation about the job, and ultimately convinced them to leave. They join the company, and then it doesn't work out; they're let go at some point after. Well, it, in that situation, that employee, because they left a secure job, because they were induced to leave a secure job are owed enhanced severance. So even though the employee may have only worked for the new company I don't know, for six months, but they could have had significant time with the previous company, the one they left, they're now owed enhanced severance. And get this, John, it's severance that accounts for the time with the previous company. So let's use an example. Let's say someone had uh, 10 years with a company, they were recruited and they joined another company, and then six months later, they were let go. So the new company may say, oh, you're a six-month employee. We're going to pay you severance like a six-month employee. Well, not so fast. That employee, for the purpose of calculating severance, could be a a 10-and-a-half-year employee. So they could be owed a year's pay even though they've only worked for the new company for six months. So whenever you're recruited or induced to leave a job Mm -hmm. to join another company and you're let go within the first you know, a few years, three, four years, you may easily be owed enhanced severance that accounts for the time with the previous company. Still time for your phone call, 604-280-9898 or star 9898 on your cell if you uh, so desire. Feel free to call now. Still got some uh, some time to do that. So from the employee standpoint, how do they protect themselves if they leave one company for the one that induced them to another job? So you're about to leave a company, you're joining another company, and, and you need, you should, you must protect yourself in case things don't go well. And the best way to do that is by paying attention to the employment agreement that you're about to sign with a new company. Right. Because here's what you need to watch out for. You do not want to sign an employment agreement with a new company that limits your future severance entitlements. Because if you sign something like that and the company lets you go, then you're not going to get that enhanced severance. You're not going to get, you're going to get nothing almost because you agreed to something that limits your entitlements. Why ever would you leave a secure job to join another company 
where now your termination entitlements are going to be essentially nothing. Don't ever do that. So number one is make sure that there's nothing limiting your severance. At a minimum, that has to be the case. Even better, potentially, is to to actually have language that gives you enhanced severance so that you, we don't have to have an argument later on whether you should get enhanced severance or not. Let's put in terms in the agreement that says, okay, if you let me go, em, uh, employer, I'm going to get a minimum of, I don't know, eight months pay, whatever it is, something that protects you, something that means you're not treated like a brand new employee when it comes to your termination entitlements. Very important to do that. So protect yourself in the employment agreement, but at a minimum, do not ever leave a job, start another one, and sign an agreement that limits your termination entitlements. Terrible thing to do. I want to get over to the phones, as we always uh, like to do. Roland, thank you for calling in. Good afternoon. How are you? Hey, fine, guys. Hey, a question about overtime, and this is without yeah. a CBA, no union involved. So what are the standard overtime? When does it kick in when you're working uh, for somebody? Is it after 8, after 10, or can they decide themselves when the overtime kicks in? So no, uh, at a minimum, you, you have to, you, you get uh, overtime uh, if you work. So there's a daily overtime if you work uh, more than eight hours a day. Okay, you right. have to get time and a half for anything over that, or for right. or more than forty hours a week. So eight hours a day or forty hours a week for anything over that, you have to get time and a half. Yeah, I work in the in the television industry in in British Columbia and all over the place. So the industry standard, although it's not really a union standard, but the industry standard is ten hours. But you have to actually have to be there for eleven hours before you actually get any kind of overtime in there. Hmm. Their justification is is that you know the hour that you take for the meal is on your time, not their time. So uh, if you're there for 11 hours, then the overtime starts after 11, knowing that one hour is for your lunch. Right, right. So so here's the thing: you, you're working in the TV industry, so you're likely federally reg uh, regulated, right? I, I I don't know. I, I really have no idea whether we're federally regulated or not because we're all independent contractors, true freelancers, if you will. So we work I for see. So, for so, that determines, yeah. So are you, when you say independent contractors, you really work for one company, though. You go to work, you come back. You're not working for five companies at the same time. Is that right? Well, we're working for five companies, potentially, but not, not every day. You know, one company could be, one day could be for one company, and another day could be for another company. And who decides? Uh, it's really me. I could say no. If they call me up and say, can you work this show? And the answer is, if I'm booked, the answer is no. Uh, if I'm not booked, it still could be no if I don't want to do the job. Okay. So so here's the thing then. It sounds like, unlike most people that, that call call me, you actually are in the eyes of the law or would be in the eyes of the law an independent contractor because you, you don't have a, a one employer. You can decide when to work, who to work for. You can say no, etc. And because you're an independent contractor, really there's no overtime laws that apply to you, okay? So okay. overtime laws are only with, only with respect to employees. So if you're not an employee, it's really what you and the company agree to. You can agree to, to get paid in, uh, uh, in diamonds, you know what I mean? You can agree to anything as long as there's an... But that might not be, be a bad idea. You may, you may yeah. want to consider that. Uh, yeah, but exactly. you can agree to essentially whatever. As long as there's an agreement, that's the agreement. Where employment laws come in is with respect to people that are employees, and and, and overtime again would have to be paid if it's uh, eight hours a day or forty hours a week. So for you, because you're an independent contractor, Roland, it wouldn't apply. Yep. 
let's say if if it's like seasonal work, like for the Vancouver Canucks or when we had the Vancouver Grizzlies, is that they might offer you all the home games for the Vancouver Canucks. Would that be considered seasonal work? So if you're working for an extended period of time for, for one company, one organization, then yeah, and, and you're essentially full-time or regular hours during that period of time, yeah. Then, yeah. then you would be considered during that period of time to be an employee of that company, very likely, and which then that would trigger uh, the employment rights, including the right to overtime. So, so yes, so it hire, could be... So if they hire you just one game every now and then, you are truly an independent contractor, but right. here, here's all 40 home games. We want you to work all 40 home games. There's, a, there's an expectation that you're going to be there for all 40 home games, although you might have agreed to it six months ago. Exactly. You're absolutely right. So if you're going to be there for the next six months, whatever it is, the 40 games, however long it's, that's going to be, uh, then, yep. then you, you are likely an employee at that point. If it's, you know, hey, we'll call you when we need you and you'll say yes or no, then, yep. th- then you're an independent contractor. So it does depend on that dynamic. Uh, and if you are an employee, then you're right. Overtime would have to be paid to you. Uh, it's kind of interesting to know. So if you if you have the full the full offer for the entire, you might fall under uh, federal guidelines as opposed to an independent you know contractor guideline. Exactly, you you may fall under under essentially employment laws as opposed right. to independent contractors where the there's really no employment laws because you're not an employee. I got you. Okay, all right. Roland, you're not uh, you're not doing any work for uh, IATSE or NABET, are you? Uh, I do actually. I, I am yeah, a member of NABET. Yeah, yeah, but that's yeah. for other places where I work. So not in this okay. particular yeah, case, unions. it was a non-union. It was a non-union question. Yeah. Right. Okay. Cool. 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 Well, I appreciate the uh, appreciate the call, Roland. That is a good way to wrap it up. A complex question, but always good to get the information out there. You want to uh, reach out now that we are done for this particular show. Lior's number, no problem, 604-283-3123 and uh, the email rather is help at employmenthour.com and anytime you want to know what your severance should be uh, before the phone call even you go to severancepaycalculator.com and then follow up with Lior of course. Catch you next time right here on the Employment Hour on CKNW.